Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Greetings, everyone. It's Allison here, and welcome to Deep Well Astrology Podcast. So I'm back from some summer travels across the northern part of the continental U.S. this summer, and I actually took two long train trips with some home time in between each of those trips. I not only spent time in Oregon earlier this year in June studying movement-based somatic education, but later on I was also in Montana taking time to learn about the northern plains and the complex relationship between colonization and the indigenous population, as is written deeply in many of our beautiful and healing places uh, in this continent. I was also fortunate to visit Glacier National Park and take the waters uh, at many of those beautiful places to swim, some local hot springs, some very sulfuric water, and also some glacial lakes. I have deep and continued gratitude for being able to travel and digest and wonder in this beautiful part of the world and also honor the people who have been here for a long, long time. So gratitude for that awareness too. Traveling is one of the ways that I really receive nourishment. And it's one way that I open to giving to myself. I allow that desire to be present, but I also make a lifestyle that honors that desire because I know that when I'm feeling fulfilled, I have more to offer, whether that's in friendships or my work, in my creativity. And speaking of, I'm pretty excited because this is about the one-year anniversary of Deep Well Astrology Podcast. We're at episode 41. And so I think about that out of the whole year, we got about 41 or probably about 42 episodes. So that's a celebration. And it seems really nice to start into a fresh topic, a kind of new inquiry over these next couple months. And we're going to be looking at, you know, I've been thinking for a while, what do I want to do next? We looked at communication through the lens of Mercury. We looked at the Saturn square Uranus transit. So if you're really curious about that, you can head back to the beginning part of this podcast because we're having a quickening and another conjunction of that Saturn square Uranus coming up this October. So we're building towards that. And I most recently finished the podcast series on the moon. So emotional nourishment from the perspective of our moon. So as we head into this these giving seasons. And I, by giving, I mean, you know, we're looking at harvest for those of us who plant. The earth is giving us back flowers and tomatoes. Um, we're also going into this giving thanks part of the year. We're reaping our sown harvests eventually, and we're contemplating our bounties. So in this podcast series that will take us through the next couple months, it will focus or center on Venus And Venus is linked with our desires and our personal wants and values. And hopefully this will also open us up to understand the potential wants and desires of our friends, family, and important partnerships. 
In my astrological studies, my primary teacher right now, John Green, made a subtle joke. Maybe it was overt. I took it as a subtle joke a few years back about getting to know or learn about the Venus sign of potential partners or people that we are dating so we can have a better chance at accurately buying a gift for them. So this is a somewhat of a joke, but I actually thought that's a really good idea. So we're going to play with that idea a little bit through this podcast series. It's some good advice too. And of course, giving and receiving in a reciprocal action is important. Yet I think we often have a tendency to project our Venus onto others. Like we want something, so this person must want it too. We desire something, this person must desire it too, especially if they're in our life or we're close to them. So I like this idea that by looking and understanding our Venus and then studying a bit of the Venus through the signs and in the houses, we can open up to a greater understanding of differences. So who out there has bought a gift for someone that is actually for yourself? I think I think we've all done that. And you can probably picture yourself. And and you know, how accurate is that? Did you give the gift to somebody and what did they feel about that? How did that go? Maybe it went okay. Maybe it went well. It depends on the gift receiver, I suppose. But in this podcast series on Venus, I would invite each of us to get to know our Venus sign and house placement so that we may get in touch with the essence of our own wants and desires so we can claim them. We can own them and learn to walk the path to know them personally so that our hungry Venus does not go around waiting and or expecting someone else to feed it. Having a good handle on our Venus placement not only helps us know our wants and desires and values, it also helps to guide us into motivation, into the potential balance of desire and action, to help us integrate and understand the potential balance between Venus broadly our desires, and Mars principles, and Mars has a lot to do with action and willpower. Ultimately, these two archetypes can meet or come into accordance in ourself, and that's what we're hoping for, and we're hoping that our action can support our desires, our desires can support our action, or at least that they have a communication between each other, maybe a harmony, and they're not always going to be in the same sign with the same motivations. Later this year, but probably in the beginning of 2023, we'll look at Mars and Mars placements for indications about action, motivation, and willpower. But now let's start to go towards our first harvest and the bounty of late summer, and we'll take some time to visit with Venus. So first things first, if you don't already know the sign of your Venus, your natal Venus, go ahead and either calculate that. You can do that at astro.com. If you know your birth time and location and date of birth, you can type that in. There's a lot of different apps that do birth charts nowadays. Um, So there's many ways to do that for free online. Also, take a moment to notice the house that Venus is in. So you might have a Venus in Sagittarius in the eighth house. 
So get that in your mind. And as you study more about your chart and astrology, you'll eventually get these these numbers and these placements memorized. But since we'll be looking at Venus, at least know the sign of your Venus and then also know what element it is. So Venus in Sag is a fire Venus. We have a Venus in Scorpio. Scorpio is a water sign. So you can also then look at the element of your Venus placement. Now, in our charts, Venus can never be more than 48 degrees from our natal sun placement. Many of us have our natal Venus in the same sign as our sun, but it can be up to two signs away in either direction from where our natal sun placement is. This is due to Venus's, the planet's, proximity to the sun astronomically. If you think about it, Mercury is the closest planet to the sun, so it almost comes along with our natal sun placement. It's only able to ever be one sign away from our natal sun placement. And a lot of people have sun, Mercury, and Venus in the same sign. You can have sun and Mercury in one sign, and then Venus might be up to one or two signs away. So Venus, I think very generally, shows us that what we desire, what we find worthy or of value, and what we seek to enjoy is close to our personal and central journey, uh, our becoming, which is what our sun sign is about. It's our solar principle. So I think one thing that I like to lift up is that for those who have known your sun sign for a while and think of it as a static principle, it's actually a moving principle. We come with a sun sign and that's a journey of becoming. And we don't, always display initially, especially early on, all of the qualities of our sun sign. In fact, some of us for the first half of our life up to middle age might exist a little bit more on the other axis of the sun. So if we have a sun in Aries, it's possible early on we we acted more like a Libra or we we were playing on that end of the axis and through our lifeline we are to become more Aryan in our nature. So that's the way that the sun sign works. And so that's a journey. And it's not always linear. It kind of goes back and forth and develops. So Venus is something that can be in the same sign as our sun. So what we desire and what we want is sort of supporting the journey. And sometimes it's in a different sign. So what we desire and what we want may have to come into some communication or dialogue with the journey that we're on. So they're not always in accordance or in harmony until they get to know each other and fully develop in themselves. The symbol for Venus is a circle on top of a cross. It looks like a stick figure person. I think for a lot of us it's a familiar symbol and in some cultures it signifies women or females. Yet although we may call Venus a nocturnal or feminine planet or archetype, the qualities of Venus ultimately transcend gender. We can be Venusian men or women or non-binary folk. So it's good to be clear that we can find mythology of Venusian qualities across the gender spectrum. Most popularly, Venus is correlated with the Greek myth of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. And it's well known she is beautiful and charming. But in the myth, she is also a seducer, using her beauty to lure, manipulate, and persuade. So we're already starting to see all mythology, when you go into it, allows us to see both the shadow and the gifts of each of the archetypes. 
Now, if you look into the sky when Venus is either an evening or a morning star, it's likely the brightest, most beautiful object in the sky, something that even children recognize as beautiful. It can really draw you in. It's dazzling, delightful, beautiful, and shining and charming. Yet, that planet itself is not actually generating that light. It's reflecting light. And it's so beautiful, and you know, when we are something that is so beautiful, sometimes we can get lost in that and forget that the light that shines is borrowed. You know, this is Venus is a reflector, it's sort of a channel, just like anything else. And when we forget that we're borrowing that light or we're reflecting light, that's where some of that vanity comes in. So, vanity is another keyword for Venus or Venusian archetypes. Other potential mythic deities associated with the archetype of Venus are Hera and Athena. So they're different parts of Venus, maybe a little bit more stoic or or warlike, but they're bringing in themes of justice. Justice is a Venusian principle, as well as Adonis, which is the son of Aphrodite. You could also make argument for Cupid. And as a mortal, Helen of Troy is another Venusian figure. And more earthly, I suggest a figure maybe like Dorian Gray. And I'm also thinking just generally of um, aesthetics or these poetic uh, beings or these really beautiful um, people that were sculpted. So a lot of people or forms that were revered by artists and sculptors and painters, there's this Venusian principle about beauty itself. So think for just a moment of other mythic or characterological beings who exemplify some Venusian qualities. What comes to mind there? You might even have someone in your life that seems very Venusian. For those who study folklore or myth of other cultures, who holds status of the goddess or god of beauty? A little voice in my head says, what about Kuan Yin? But I don't want to claim that because it, it's not something in my book of knowledge. I'm just kind of channeling that as a question. And on a silly note, how about the princess character in the Mario Brothers game? So we can go across many layers and look for this, this uh, Venus principle and notice the gifts. Notice the shadow side. So hopefully this has got you brainstorming some on the mythic or real life characters that have some Venusian qualities. If you're still thinking about it, I'm going to offer some more keywords that can be associated with Venus in just a moment after the break. Okay, get your journal ready or get your thinking cap on. Here are some keywords that I associate with Venus. There are many more. Here's some. Grace, charm, pleasure, aesthetics, harmony, delight, passion, romance, nature, indulgence, gluttony, equality, poise, union, divorce, partners, justice, mediation, Greed, talents, values, desire, marriage, dancing, sentimental, perfume, the body, sensuality, 
and apples. Just wanted to pause there. Just take that in. You might be able to free associate some more words, especially if you're getting an image coming up uh, about Venus. This whole thing about the layers of Venusian principles is really interesting because, you know, Venus is the planetary ruler of Taurus and of Libra. And Taurus is an earth-based sign. And you come in with like the body and apples and sensuality and perfume. But when you get to Libra, the other, we'll call it masculine um, or, or diurnal part of Venus, right? It's an air sign. And we're, then we're going more into aesthetics and harmony and equanimity. So more of these civilized ideals. So we're, Venus can move all the way from these aesthetics and civilized ideas and ideals all the way down to the most basic sensuality, the, the things that we feel and touch and taste. So my hope is that we can begin to think of the Venus principle larger than just romance or indicative of what we are looking for in love and broaden it to a full active archetype that, yes, has to do with desire and sensuality and even marriage or union. But psychologically, it also has to do with developing an inner knowing and commitment or union with our own desires, with our own knowing of our desires and our willingness to be honest with ourselves about them and pursue them or feed them. When I work with clients, I'll speak in a way that addresses Venus as a living entity. Like we must feed or nurture our moon, we must also understand and nurture or worship, we'll play, play devotion if you want to use those terms of dramatic terms anyways, um, or feed our Venus. So it needs attention, it needs cultivation. And in order to uphold a sense of larger harmony and broader equanimity in our natal chart, that Venus needs to be balanced. Because I think we, we often think that a lot of our um, places of imbalance in our chart are Martian, you know, Mars being aggressive and fighting. But but remember that each one of our archetypal placements, when not in balance, also has its own, we'll call it anger or out of balance feeling. And Venus is actually hotter than Mars. It's that kind of being unsatisfied leads to a type of uh, imbalance that can be seen in feelings like resentment so there's an anger there but there's a stoic kind of um heat behind it not like that quick firecracker rage you know or a temper tantrum so there's a lot of different ways that it out of balance venus can show up sometimes in our emotional life sometimes internally or within our families and friends so what happens with venus in our chart and how is it related to giving and receiving when we get to know what our particular Venus is hungry for and what it needs or actually really wants to feel satiated, we can learn to advocate and promote our own desires. In a sense, we're able to open and receive from ourselves, others, and the world. We're releasing the barriers to accepting gift and pursuing our desire and receiving. We have less of a chance of ignoring our personal desires and wants or projecting them onto someone else and needing that person, place, or thing to fulfill our own Venus principle because it's ours. And by knowing our Venus sign, element, and placement, 
we can come to better understand what we find worthy and valuable personally and be supplely strong or genuinely self-centered in knowing what we want or find worthy. It also has to do with self-worth. So we'll get into that as we get more into the details of different Venus placements. It can be enriching to recognize there are many different avenues of desire, value, and fulfillment. So it kind of plays into that idea. So by connecting with our own avenues, we have an opportunity to release needing to change or control what others' journeys are with their own desires or values. Because we really can't know somebody else's unless we ask them. And then words are simply a small translation of these felt things. Because wants and desires are often very visceral for us. There's something... For many of us, they're deeply held, and words can be a bridge, but they just scratch the surface for many of us. So while one person may genuinely desire a more austere environment or a monastic existence, like a Buddhist sense of desiring no desires or no self, another person on the Venus desire spectrum can find money or opulence or soft, silky clothing of value or desire, or maybe being of integrity or saying what you mean and meaning what you say, or words have some kind of worthwhile meaning or that you hold them of strong value, while other people really take words a lot more lightly, so they wouldn't hold them as a center value. So I suggest studying along with this podcast series, Knowing Your Own Venus Sign and Placement, And then once you get a good sense of where you are in that relationship, you might like to know the Venus placement of your important partner or partners, friends, family, and other willing and consenting people in your life. And if people are open to astrology, then this is a really good topic of communication. From that perspective, that each podcast episode is going to kind of unfold and it's going to be a, a journey through all the Venus placements. And I'm also going to offer just a really fun kind of humorous section called gift giving for a Venus in, you know, Pisces or a Venus in Aries. So I'll say something on that each time. And if I offer a gift suggestion, it's only a suggestion, no responsibility taken for epic fails. So this is just something to play with. In all seriousness, though. Begin by first knowing and giving to your own Venus. Mostly this is about the reflection of allowing or receiving. So allowing and receiving and where we are with that in our life. Thinking personally, asking yourself questions or journaling on this idea. Am I comfortable with my desires? Honest with what I want? Do I allow myself to feed my desire, to live a life that allows what I want to flourish? And what is it that I really desire or want? What are my values? How do I know I'm following those values? What does that feel like? Again, this this is a feeling. And feeling into that and allowing that feeling is a practice. It's a pathway. And then we may ask curiously, hmm, what is it that my loved ones value or the folks in my life? You could have a conversation or you could just, you could think into this a little bit. How is it the same or different for me? 
Could we live together in a way that we all have space to pursue and connect with our inner values and what we desire? So think about that this week. In part two of this introduction, as I release the episode next week, to Venus giving and receiving, or excuse me, Venus as an indicator of our pathway of giving and receiving, we'll look into the meaning of value, worth, and desires, because those are different, uh, but they all kind of go in this, this study of Venus. And we're also going to start to unpack Venus, and we're going to look at Venus through the eyes of all four elements, fire, water, earth, and air. I'm glad to begin this Venusian journey with you, and I'll see you next time. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.